The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Thank you, Jim. Jim's one of your elders. Jim spearheads pastoral care, and I'm thankful for him in that ministry um, that he provides to the church. Today, we're back in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 6. Uh, chapter 1, I'm sorry, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. This is a, a really delightful letter, so I'm looking forward to diving back into some things this morning. The first chapter of Philippians, verses 6 through 11. This is a prayer. Verses 3 through 11 in this book is a thanksgiving and prayer. Paul does some really unique things in this, so we're going to walk back through some of this uh, this morning. The first chapter of Philippians verses 6 through 11. Last Sunday, I really tried to set the tone uh, for what I found to be some of the great, what I term drumbeats of this letter. Um, there's these themes or these ideas that just sort of hang around in this letter. They're sort of in the background throughout the balance of this letter. And in some way, they're critical. It's critical that you hold on to these as we navigate through this sermon, uh, navigate through this book over the coming weeks. We'll examine other things in this book. We're going to examine other issues, other topics, um, other things. But this key statement I gave you last week, I want you to write this down. I want you to sear this into your brain, whatever you need to do. But the key statement as we navigate through this entire book, I believe the key statement is this. The content and movement of the gospel, it will give you purpose on how to live individually and how to live as a church. The content and the movement of the gospel, it will give you purpose on how to live individually and as a church. It's the foundation of everything. And so at almost every juncture in this, in this letter, the gospel is there. It's in the background and it's, a, it's, it's, in the background and it's foundational to what we do. And I told you we would, we would learn more about the gospel in content We'll learn more about gospel and content. What is the gospel? Why do we bring this stuff up all the time? I told you that we would learn more about the gospel as the agency of evangelism. How does the gospel move? How does the gospel move and how is that important for us as the agency of evangelism? And sort of stacked on top of that statement, the content and the movement of the gospel sort of stacked on that statement or coming down out of that statement, I'll tell you, are these various themes and last week it was joy. So effectively, I've been trying to impart to you that joy is, last week, is more than an emotion, it's a mindset. I told you that joy was a mindset. I believe that's what Paul gave us there. And it's tethered to the movement and the content of the gospel. If you didn't grab anything else last week, I hope that you saw that joy. It's tethered to that. So the content and the movement of the gospel, I told you it's got to always stay right here through these sermon series. Those two things. It's got to hang right here in the entire sermon series. And what Paul does, it's really, it's really a cool move in my part the way I see it in the text. He almost drops these strings out of that. So from the content and the movement of the gospel, this big idea here, he drops these strings out of it. And at the end of these things are things like joy. It's these gems for the Christian faith. So he unravels these strings out of this big idea of the content and the movement of the gospel. And last week he gave us this gem called joy. 
The Christian is supposed to live in joy, these big things. And so last week he did that for us. This week in chapter, in verses 6 through 11 here, in this, this introductory prayer, Paul is going to dra- drop a second string, the way I raveled it, the way it sits in my mind. I told you I think about things that may be kind of odd sometimes. But out of the content and the movement of the gospel, he unravels this second string. And at the end of this string is a gem for the Christian life called godliness. Last week we talked about godliness, uh, joy. This week it's godliness. So Paul says from the content and the movement of the gospel, there's this thing called godliness. And so I'm going to talk to you. I'm, we're going we're to examine this this morning in the way uh, Paul does it. So to the text this morning, hear the words of the apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the living and breathing words of God Almighty beginning in verse 6. Remember this is a prayer. And Paul writes, he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment. Remember I told you last week that Paul's in prison, that's a context for us, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul moved the gospel all over the world. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I'm going to talk to you about that verse. It's an important verse to this. Verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we need to recall that this entire section here, this larger block here, 3 through 11 in this opening section, is understood as a prayer. And so this is what Paul does here. It's common in a lot of his prayers is he oscillates, he moves back and forth between intercession and thanksgiving. Intercession and thanksgiving. This is what he does in here. (laughs) I told my wife this morning, sometimes when you're up here, you'll think things and there's all kinds of stuff that goes through my mind up here. So sometimes I can't say everything that's on my mind. So I I put that word oscillated in there for her and she's not even in here this morning. Anyway, so I'm gonna move on from that. But anyhow, somebody please tell her I used that word. It's an inside joke. But anyway, Paul, he moves back and forth between intercession and thanksgiving in this prayer. And that's just a $5 way of saying that in verses three through 11, the bigger section in here, he switches back and forth between praying to God on behalf of someone else intercession he's praying to God on behalf of someone else and he's simply giving thanks to God importantly in those two things praying on behalf of someone and giving thanks to God you realize there's none of Paul wrapped up in that that's important for you Paul's not asking for things he's other focused Paul's always other focused so in these verses that we looked at last week three through five there we had both intercession and thanksgiving there and then this week we see the same thing so this is the breakdown This is how I'm going to preach it this morning. In verses 6 through 8 is a thanksgiving. Verses 6 through 8 is a thanksgiving. And then 9 through 11, he goes back to petitioning God for things on the behalf of someone else. So get that frame of mind around it. 6 through 8 is thanksgiving. 9 through the closing of this letter, he goes back to asking. He goes back to interceding for people. And so remember, remember, we keep this right over our head the whole entire time. The content and the movement of the gospel, it gives you purpose on how to live individually. It gives you purpose on how to live as a church. And it's from that framework 
the content and the movement of the gospel, that Paul's going to unravel this other string, and at the bottom of it is this idea called holiness. It's this idea called godliness. That We use those words interchangeably. So look with me again at verses 6 through 8, the thanksgiving here. He says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right, verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you. Listen to strong language in this. How I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. It's such a personal tone in this. I told you, such a personal letter from Paul here. I'm going to probably breeze through, y'all are laughing, he's going to breeze through something. I'm going to breeze through the first parts of these verses here, and the, the meat of where I'm going to land today is in the last section of this, and so I think that's where the good stuff is. But in this section, this is a reflection of the deep feeling of Paul's heart. There's some marked and strong language utilized in this particular section that really, I'm frankly, I'm honestly, as I read this, sometimes I'm frankly surprised that Paul used this strong of a language. It just surprised at it. I, not, I don't know why, but it's just, he's just real lucid. He's just real clear about his feelings here. It's so intimate. Look at the words here. He says, I hold you in my heart. You're partakers of grace. He uses this word yearn. He says, the affection of Christ Jesus. What's very cool about this is Paul in many ways, particularly in the beginning of this passage, he's thanking God. Listen to this. If you weren't here for this series, he's thanking God for justification, sanctification, preservation, and glorification as given to his children, as given to God's children. He's thanking people. He's thanking God for this. <laughs> Look at me. I didn't preach that sermon because I thought it was cool. The apostle Paul sets the model here. He's thanking God for these things that have been given to his children. He cares about these people. I care about you. I care that God has justified the Christian. It, is, it warms my heart that he's sanctifying you. It warms my heart that he's preserving you. It warms my heart that you can live with hope because of the future glorification. This is what Paul's doing in this section. He's giving thanks to them because not only because of their partnership, but because of the way God has moved in their life. These big doctrines, he cares about these people. And if you care about people, you'll be right in the middle of these doctrines. I think that. I think that. And so he's saying he's giving thanks to these people for joy. We talked about that last week, the advancement of the gospel. This brings him joy. It brings him joy because there's no personal gain in this with Paul. You got to hear Paul here. This is not about Paul. Paul is not a selfish man. In particular, I want to draw your attention to verse, uh, verse 8 here. Look at verse 8 very clo closely with me. Direct your attention there. It says, for God is my witness. He petitions God as his witness. That's strong language in the New Testament. Very strong language. He says, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Look at this sentence. Sometimes we breeze through the Bible and we miss this stuff. This is almost an inconceivable sentence in, here. Have you ever thought about this? You're like, no, I haven't thought about this, Brit. I'm just trying to make it through the work week. I haven't sat around and pondered this all weekend long. But think about this. It's incredible to me. Have you ever stopped and thought, what is the affection of Christ Jesus? What does that even mean? 
And what does it mean when Paul says, I love these people with the affection of Christ Jesus? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? Everyone's thinking, um, no. So Paul is literally telling, this is what he's literally saying there. This is, think about this. He's literally telling them that I love you with the bowels of Jesus Christ. And that strikes you to beginning with like, that sounds kind of gross. I love you with the bowels of Jesus Christ. That's literally what he's saying here. What he's saying is that he loves them with the inclination or the will of Jesus Christ. The inward parts of Jesus Christ. Let me explain this. This is fascinating to me. I think this is beautiful language and I think it'll, under, I, it'll help you shape the way you think about the gospel. He says that he's loving them with the will or inclination of Jesus. He loves them the way Christ's actions loved people. Are you tracking with me on that? There you go, Jim. He's doing this because Christ's affection, Christ's affection, the actions that comes from Christ's heart, because this is the ultimate form of affection. This is the ultimate form of affection. The affection of Christ Jesus. So Christ had the most intent and acute, he had these acute and intense actions of love. Christ had the ability to do the right thing, to love people the right way. This is the model that Christ says here. This is all Paul is saying here. Paul is saying he's, he, he's saying that Christ's love was so transformative because of the way that Christ acted out of his heart. The affection of Christ Jesus, the inward parts. Think about this. Think about Jesus. Think about what you know about Christ. If you don't know anything about Christ, listen to this. This is the, this is the love of Christ Jesus. Christ, John 14, 31 came to mind when I wrote this. It, Jesus is in the context of sending the Holy Spirit. How about that? How does that work? Thank you for that, Jim. He says, I do this as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. I love the Father. Christ's obedience shows his affection to Jesus, to to the Father. That's Christ's affection in action, his obedience. That's wrapped up in what Paul is saying here. He loved the Father. There's love all in the Trinity. Oh, I wish I had time to go into that. Second thing is this, uh, Jesus had the proper thanks to the, he gave the proper thanks to the Father. Think about it. Jesus thanked the Father for being a part of salvation. Is that not incredible to you? We hear this stuff all the time. Think about that. He thanked the Father for sending him, for being a part of salvation. Think about that. Think on this stuff this week. He was grieved. Jesus was grieved and angered at the, this is, he was grieved and angered at hypocrites. (laughs) He loved the truth and he was angered at hypocrites. I had lunch with a friend of mine this week. I told him, I said, I'm okay when Jesus turns over tables. I can do that. I can get angry and turn over tables. It's the other stuff that causes me problems, right? I am redheaded. I am redheaded. (laughs) It is true. There's some fire in my bones. I'm okay with that. This stuff about being meek causes me problems. (laughs) You know what I mean? That sort of stuff. But think about that. He wasn't angered because he wanted to show his authority. He was angered because he had affection. He had affection for people. He loved the church. Christ loved the church with this unmatched and astonishing fervor. He loved the church. He gave his life for the church. It's unbelievable. He gave his life so that we might have the gospel. The people reading this, they would know this reference. 
They would, they would have in mind these things when Paul wrote this letter. And they would have been familiar with it. It's, the, it's so distinct and it's the highest form of love. When is the last time you've looked at someone in your family or in this church and said, I love you with the affection of Christ Jesus? You have this in the gospel. You have it in the gospel. This is what Paul's saying here. I told you, my mind goes all over the place when I read this, when I, when, I, when I do these things, these sermons. When I wrote this, I thought about President JFK. JFK had a, uh, uh, he just was a, a president we had in the 60s. He, um, he had this cousin that was, that was around him and he, <laughs> I read this story somewhere. I don't even know where I got this. He has this cousin that looked at him at one point in time when he was in politics. He told JFK at one time, he said, in politics, you don't really have any friends. You don't really have any friends in, in politics. I think it's a true statement. He looked at him one day. He says, you don't really have any friends. You don't really have anybody that loves you in politics. The only thing you really have in politics is co-conspirators. All you have in politics is co-conspirators. I'm not making a political statement here. I just thought this was funny. He says, there's people all around you in order that they can conspire. Only reason people get around you is so they can conspire on how to grab all the diamonds and then everybody runs. <laughs> and I thought, this is not the Christian life. We're not hanging out to conspire and grab all the diamonds and run. We live with the affection of Christ Jesus. You understand that? We're not of this world. We live in a different kingdom. And so there's, it's such a sad existence, but that's the truth based upon my experience, sometimes outside the church. These people, this church, they didn't, leave, they didn't live that way. The man that led them, the man that planted this church, he had a deep-seated and genuine love for them. This is the church. The church is the affection of Christ Jesus. This is Thanksgiving from Paul in 6 through 8 here. And then it gets really interesting because he moves from Thanksgiving in, verses, in verse 6 here, verses 6 through 8 here. He moves from Thanksgiving and he rolls right back into intercession, which is, remember, we're asking God for something on behalf of someone else. This is so important for us. He moves back to intercession in verses 9 through 11, and then he drops this string out of content and movement of the gospel, and at the end of that, he connects it to holiness. He's saying holiness is connected. It comes right out of the content and the movement of the gospel. I don't want to overstate it, but I'm just trying to make that clear. Godliness comes out of the content and movement of the gospel. It's so attached to it. He'll give us this in verse 9 through 11. Look at the text with me again. In verse 9, he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. This, he's, he's, ask, he's praying something on behalf of this church. And he's saying, so that you may approve what is excellent. I'm going to talk to you about that. So that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. In verse 9 here, this word and, I think this word and, the way that I see it, I think this word and starting in verse 9 here, I think it links the reader back to verse 5. If you have a Bible in here, you will recall that verse 5 is this reference to Paul's joy because this church partnered with him in the gospel. So what I'm trying to tell you is that the bigger context in here, I think he links this, this, this verse 9 here back up to the idea of gospel movement, gospel content. That's what I want you to get out of that. So he thanks the church and God in prayer for that partnership and the joy therein. And then in verse 9, he prays something on behalf of the people that's connected to that. 
So the larger context that Paul's been dealing with here, gospel content and movement, I believe that Paul is speaking in this section right here, in in verses 9 through 11 in this, I believe he's speaking broadly of the idea of godliness. I think that's what he's doing here. So let me say this. Here's the title of the sermon today. Here's the statement for the entire sermon. What Paul is saying is that because of the content and movement of the gospel, there it is again, I pray that you will pursue godliness. In layman's terms, that's what he's saying. Paul is saying that because of the content and the movement of the gospel, I pray, I pray for you. I pray, I pray that you will pursue godliness. That's what he's saying. Let me say it another way to you. You, as you know, as you know and understand the content of the gospel, the mind is so important in Christianity. As you know and understand the content of the gospel and the advancement of the gospel, as the gospel moves and you're a part of that, your love will abound and you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness okay as you know the gospel and as you move the gospel your love will abound and you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness so last week I told you he drops this string of joy out of this it's through the content and the movement of the gospel he unravels this string called joy it comes right out of that you can obtain joy and happiness because of the content and the movement of the gospel this week he drops this string out with this gem for the Christian life called godliness how do we make God known That's godliness. How do we make God known? He drops this right out of the gospel. And he says you can obtain godliness. You can obtain this. This is for you. So this is not any type of holiness. This is not any type of godliness. Listen carefully to this. He prays for a specific flavor of godliness. This is so important. This is why I love the Bible. The Bible, there's this doctrine. I'm not even gonna say it because it's a $6 word, but the Bible is clear. On the doctrines that matter to you, the Bible is clear. We have clarity on these things. And the Bible gives you clarity on how to pursue godliness. God wants this for you. This is why he puts it in scripture. It's a certain flavor of godliness he's saying here. He's, how do you pursue godliness? I think Paul in this prayer, he gives, us, he gives you and I a framework for how to pursue godliness. Then he gives it to you in the content of purposes. This is purpose number one. How do you pursue godliness? Their purpose, number one, is this. Their love may abound with knowledge and discernment. So the first element of godliness that Paul prays is for abounding love. And I think this phrase that Paul uses here, it connects to verse five, it's the spread of the gospel and the interrelation in the church. I think because it's linked to verse five, I think he's speaking of love abounding by the spread of the gospel. How do you love people? You share the gospel with them, I told you that. And the love between Christians. The affection of Christ Jesus. I think that's what he's saying here. Amongst the church, you love people by getting the gospel to that, them. I believe that. I believe that deeply. You love people by getting the gospel to them. And then you love people by genuine virtue because you're a Christian. Christians should do the right thing. Christians should care for people. Christians should be decent. Christians should walk with high character. Christians should live with dignity. The fruit of the spirit. However you want to frame this. So the, 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 the way to pursue godliness is to abound in love with knowledge and discernment. But, 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 this is so important. Abounding love is fastened to knowledge or wisdom. Abounding love is fastened to knowledge or wisdom. I've told you this before. Knowledge is intellect. 
Wisdom is knowledge applied. That's what you need to know about that. And so he, fa- he fastens this idea of abounding love. He says, how do you pursue godliness? You abound in love, and that comes from knowledge and discernment. So I'm gonna, I'm, it's just a drumbeat. You need to remember this. It, Paul is intertwining thinking. I told you this last week. Thinking, knowledge, and the mind into everything. Do you realize that knowledge is a part of your salvation? God had to turn the lights on for you. The truth is your issue if you can't see it. And the lights have to come on. It has to click for you intellectually. God has to turn the lights on. There's so much of the mind connected to salvation. Knowledge is directly related to godliness. And I think that's what Paul is telling us in this section. And moreover, love is not simply the result of the knowledge of God. Love is founded in knowledge. You cannot love anything you do not know. That's why I love the Bible. It's why I love the doctrines of God. It's why I love theology. You can't love anything you don't know. Love is founded in knowledge. In the aforementioned language, there is a tight correlation between knowledge and love. Where there is no knowledge of God, there will effectively be no true love for God. And where there is no true love for God, the heart will, be, will not be appropriately engaged towards others. I'm going to say that again. Where there is no knowledge of God, there will effectively be no true love for God. Where there is no true love for God, the heart will not appropriately engage others with love. You only know how to love because God defined it. It's so important for us. It's so important for us. God's attributes, his nature, his grace, it must be continually renewed and developed within the mind in order to experience true love for God and to abound in his love. If love must abound, then esteem for God must be transcendent as well. Any esteem or love for God is grounded in the mind wherein knowledge resides and it leads you to a love for God and a love for people. As you know as you know, as you know and understand the content of the gospel and you advance the gospel as a result of that knowledge, your love will abound. I believe this. I believe this. I'm not just telling you. I try to live this way. I try to live this stuff out. I don't ever want to be a guy up here that's telling you things that I don't try to live out. All of this is grounded in the gospel. Spend your life sprinting towards knowing God and abounding in love for the gospel all out of the gospel, all out of the content and movement of the gospel. That's all I'm trying to say. The second way that Paul leads us to godliness here, he frames godliness in the middle of this text in front of us, is he says, approve what is excellent and be filled with the fruit of righteousness. He's praying for these people's godliness. He's praying for their sanctification. He's praying for their growth in God. He's praying that they, that they live a, out the fruit of righteousness. The, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, it, it means that you approve what is excellent. You approve what is excellent. What is excellent, Brit? What is excellent? What is excellent quite literally means the different things. This is fascinating what Paul does here. Paul's saying, know and love the different things. Approve the different things. That's the the issue here. So if you're struggling to understand the Christian faith and you're new to all this and you're trying to figure it all out and you're like, this guy gets up every week and talks about this stuff I don't understand. He uses these words I don't understand. These Christian people do all this stuff I don't understand. That's because we believe these things are excellent. We believe these things are the different things. 
We deal with the Bible. And if you come around the places called the church that deal with the Bible, you will quite literally, literally, you will see and hear the different things. The things that are excellent, quite literally. Most of this stuff I've been up here saying may seem foreign to you as though, you've come, as though we come from another world. And I admit we do. We're not of this kingdom. We deal and we approve with the, th- the different things, the things that are excellent. So as a Christian, you quite literally approve. You approve in word and deed, verbally and with your life, verbally and with your life, the different things the things of God's person and character. Remember holiness. God's holiness is his otherness, his unmatched otherness. That's what we believe God's holiness is. God is made of different things. He's a different thing. He's, he's a, he has an otherness. His person and character are unmatched. They're different. And so this is the purpose of Paul's prayer. And it is that one of the ways that we can understand how to pursue godliness How do you pursue godliness? You approve of the different things. You live a life of the different things as you know and understand the content of the gospel, as you advance the gospel, the movement of the gospel, your love will abound and you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. All of it hangs on the gospel. All of it hangs on the gospel. The inside of my Bible These things can get kind of corny, but on the inside of my Bible, I have a Bible verse written here. I have a Bible verse written on the inside of my Bible, and it comes from Ezra 7.10. I tell, I tell younger people I deal with, I tell students this all the time. It comes from seven, Ezra 7.10. Ezra is probably one of my favorite people in the Bible. Ezra was really kind of a modern day, maybe for lack of better words, he was almost like a secretary of state in the Old Testament. If you don't know what secretary of state is, give me about six minutes, and then you can Google it when you leave here. Um, but this is what Ezra was. He was kind of a, he, he was kind of the modern form of a, or in the Old Testament, he was what we refer to as a secretary of state. He was a government leader. He was a scribe. Um, he was a reformer. He was a brilliant man. He was a teacher. And most of all, the Bible tells us that God's hand was upon him. And so that's important to us because that means that God's grace was upon him. Ezra didn't do anything to deserve the position he was in. He didn't do anything to deserve what he was given in this. And so in, the inside of my Bible right here has Ezra 7.10. And this verse says, you can see it right here. It says, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra has set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. The content of this is important, but the sequence of this verse is important. You understand that? The sequence of this verse is important. Ezra set his mind to know God. He set his mind to study the ways of God. Then it says that Ezra did it. It didn't say that Ezra studied it and taught it. It says that Ezra studied it, he did it, he lived it in his life, he practiced godliness under the gospel, he practiced grace-based living, and then he taught it. And it grieves me sometimes, it grieves me, it grieves me how much Christians, sometimes they don't do what they say in here, outside of here. They learn, they learn they want to tell other people, but they don't do it. And this, is in a, this is in the Bible to, remin, to remind me that I can be a Pharisee. This is in the Bible to remind me that I can learn all this stuff and I can stand up here and teach it, but by God, if I don't do it, 
Who am I? And so I'm saying to you that godliness comes from God. It comes from doing, doing this knowledge, this reflection, the knowledge of God, the study of the law, but you've got to do it. That's the fruit of righteousness that Paul is saying there. This is abounding love. All of this, abounding in love, is being filled with the fruit of righteousness that are part of these strings that God drops from the gospel called godliness. How do I know that? How do I know that all of this, that godliness is grounded in the gospel? How do I know last week that, G, that Paul says joy is grounded in the gospel? How do I know all that, Britt? Because he caveats the entire text. He caveats this entire section. Look at what he says at the very end here above me. He says, he says that I've preached... I preached this through the last two weeks. Joy and godliness are all caveated at the very end by being accomplished through Jesus Christ, not apart from him. You accomplish these things through Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus is your joy. Christ Jesus in the gospel is the foundation of pursuit of godliness. The only reason we know how to love and produce righteousness is because it was first done by Christ Jesus. Christ has been extended to you by the hand of the benevolent Father. And I plead to you, come to Christ Jesus. Experience joy. Experience a life where you no longer grasp into thin air for purposefulness or peace with God. Come to Christ Jesus where you no longer abound by the sin and guilt of a life that has not been lived for the different things. Come to Christ Jesus so that he might reconcile you to, the, to a loving father, a father that cannot adopt you apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. Come to Christ Jesus that he might usher you into a life of knowing the gospel in content and advancing the gospel in movement, that he might lead you down a path of godliness under the gospel to the glory and praise of God Almighty. Come to Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Father, I'm thankful to you for truth. I'm thankful to you that you give us the gospel that we might know you. I'm thankful that you abound in love through Jesus Christ, Father. And the heart of everything that Christ did is because he loved us. It's because he cared for us. I'm overwhelmed as we look at this text that Paul extends that same type of love to a church. He wrote it in a letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that some 2,000 years later we might examine what it means for the gospel to give us joy and what it means for the gospel to call us to a life of godliness. I pray that in our hearts that we be people that know you, Father, but we be people that do it and that we abound in love we share the content of the gospel and we're involved in its movement. I'm thankful to you for this. I'm thankful to you for the truths of Holy Scripture. And most of all, I'm thankful to you for Christ Jesus who came. He lived a perfect life upon this earth. He died on the cross for the sins of many and he rose victoriously on the third day that we might be reconciled to you. And we pray this in his name. Amen.